Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. So Vision Builders, for those who are new and uh, maybe just a visitor today, you're going to find this, and now you're thinking, oh, it's just about money. No, it's not about money. I, it's, uh, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I just give you some uh, context? It's about the bigger picture of your life, of this world, and our God, and how you figure in it. So with that, you should be very excited to hear what I've got to say. Um, the other version of life is that you, just within this little context of life, and, and you are just, you know, that's your world, and, and you've got no capacity to deal with anything else. Uh, you've got no vision, maybe to further improvement, uh, and, and let alone your, yourself, uh, others, and, but... I know this, when you're saved, you're born again, God gives you a new heart, He takes out the stony heart, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, it says, He takes out the stony heart, puts a heart of flesh in, that we may follow His precepts, His words, His, His voice, and we can do great stuff in our time of living. And so, understand this, you have great capacity, it, it's just getting it revealed, getting it anointed to be revealed, and, and then you realize, oh my goodness, I can make a difference. I, I, I can do this. And so, Father, I'm just praying this morning as we're standing in your presence, Lord, in these days where, we're, Lord, people are just so strung out in, a, in another orbit from you, uh, from your plans for them. It's so apparent, Lord, that we need vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom. When I say um, vision, I'm talking about redemptive, prophetic vision that comes via the voice of God. Do you know what I'm saying? And Because and, and, and the Bible says without vision... We are dismayed, one version says. Another, ver another version says, we are scattered. You notice some people just keep on moving, just keep on moving, just scattered, just keep on moving. And, and I'm, unfortunately, I, I, I don't want to say that if that's been your life because of upbringing and stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I sympathize with that, but I, I believe God wants you to have a home. I, I believe God wants you to put roots down. I, I, I think it's the most wonderful thing kids can grow up in the same house all the days and, and you know, grow up around neighbors. And, and, but, you know, God can turn all things around for good. Sometimes people being displaced allows them to be bigger people. Uh, and sometimes being stuck in the one place can, can get them a little bit, um, you know, small-minded. So, it, it, look, 
God can work through that mess. Amen? God can work through the mess of our life and He can allow us to be the bigger people. So Lord, You've said we need vision. Otherwise, we perish. We go wild. We're ungovernable. Another version says we're ungovernable. When you belong into a church and the church says, hey, we need people to serve here, do this, do that. You go, no, 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 I'm not into that. No, ungovernable, meaning you're not willing to be put into rank and file or into a team, into a community where you can, you know, serve without vision. The Bible says in the book of Amos, people will stagger from coast to coast looking for the Word of God. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. People will stagger from coast to coast looking for the Word of God. What's that Word of God? It's the vision. It's the Word of God for their life, for their city, for their nation. Looking for a preferred future. And within that is got to be destiny, purpose, significance future just think about the world out there they're looking for destiny they're looking for purpose they're looking for significance they're looking for hope they're ultimately i believe they're looking for heaven let's believe that their eyes are being opened let's let's just imagine all the peoples around this church and let's pray right now that eyes as your eyes are, are being opened to this great story his story of redemption of a god that's reaching out from heaven through people through people that are standing up becoming a voice becoming the hands and feet of jesus becoming a light god is reaching out to the peoples in our towns and cities let's pray that their eyes are opened and let's pray that they see a vision of a preferred future for their life for their family their children their business their community their city their nation his vision lord we just pray that right now that our eyes would be opened hearts would be opened with a grateful heart we say thank you god that you are leading us forward into the best days of our life. And the saints say, Amen. Give a hand clap to the Lord. Woo! We need vision, guys. All right, you can take a seat. God bless you for coming this morning. Proverbs, and for the, pro, uh, for the podcast, I'm, I'm going to drop some scriptures in. For this year, I, I'm going to, usually I talk about the power, or the principles and the power of vision. When you lived a principled life, I said a principled life, by principle, power comes upon you to transcend all the difficulties and, 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 and you know, all, all the struggles of life. Like, like tithing. I know we haven't taken the tithes and offerings up. Tithing gives you an open heaven. In Malachi it says, He rebukes the devourer for your name's sake. The Bible says, You become a delightful land. Not a land of fright, but a land of delight. Amen? Your neighbor should be looking on your land, on your life, and saying, wow, I wish I was like that. I know they do that with the Flaxmans. You know, kids playing on the swings and the nice house and, um, you know, and no yelling. Not yet. And, um, 
but wait till you get to teenage years. And, um, and people are looking on some of our families and saying, what is it about them? As Christians, they may be principled. They're living their life in a principled way. There's principles that attract power, and power is awesome. Who's into some power to, to, to get, you know, to, 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 to break through into dimensions and realms of success, prosperity, healing? You know you want power if you're sick. I want the power of the blood of Christ on my life if I'm sick, Jackie. If, if, I, if I'm ailing, I want the power of, I'm looking at that cross. Lord, bring me all the benefits for, of the cross of Calvary by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm powering, I'm powering, I'm mentioning every power. And, and see, when you live with vision, you attract power. And that's what I want to talk about. And I've thought about this story, our story, and I thought, I, I've really got to try and help us at this stage, I think, what it means and, and uh, where it came from and, and what is our narrative and, and, it's, and it's exciting. The Bible, the Bible says, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a man's mind, but it is the Lord's purpose for him that will stand. Do you like that scripture? Do you like that scripture? I, I love that. God has an exciting purpose and plan for all his children. And so I would, ordinarily, through the years, I would talk about uh, the principles and the power of vision. And the book I would subscribe from is a phenomenal book. It's my Bible of, of vision. It's Miles Munn's uh, Rose book. Uh, Jonathan, you can put that up if you like. It's, um, and he talks about all these principles to do with vision. Uh, Charles Swindle, who knows Charles Swindle? If you listen to Rima FM, you probably know him. He says, our great need. Say great need. Our great need. When that, that's fantastic. I love that book. I found, that, I found a copy of that book in Foster, in a bookstore, in a secondhand bookstore. I'm just right, I'm waiting for Julie. She's probably doing something. I'm just going, ah, a Miles Munro book on the principles and the power of vision. I found this book about 12 years ago, I think, which really helped um, crystallize what we had been already doing uh, intuitively. And this mighty man of God, unfortunately, he's gone to be with the Lord through a plane accident landing in the Bahamas. Great man of God who spoke to government leaders about the power of vision and, and godly principles. And he says the principles and the power of vision. And he talks about, through that, the keys to achieving personal and corporate destiny. Dr. Miles Munro. Thank you, Jonathan. And so he, uh, firstly, Charles Swindle says, vision is essential for survival. It is spawned by faith. I'll just have my water if I could. Large or small. Thank you. Everyone's doing all right? This is how important vision is. <coughs> if I didn't have vision, <coughs> I know for a fact growing up, if I didn't have vision um, for my health, <coughs> for my health, <coughs> if I didn't have vision for my health, thank you, Bill, there's a man I can... You're on the team, buddy. 
you're 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 a, a gem. Um, I know I wouldn't look like this right now if I didn't have vision, because I knew I wanted to be fit to run with my kids. And there was a story getting around when I was a kid, a father's children anyway, um, drowning in a, in a dam, and he tried to save them, and he drowned. And I was just a kid, and I went, what? why couldn't the dad save the two kids? I was really, I couldn't work that out. I th- m- you know, as a kid, you're a 10, 11-year-old kid. Man, dads are awesome. They should be able to save. And, and, and I realized that this dad wasn't quite as fit as what he should have been. He, and, he, and he died trying to save his two kids. His two kids actually lived, and the father died. And I don't know if that did something for me, but I said, I'm going to stay fit because if anyone's dying around me, I want to be able to jump in water, swim, save, be a hero. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I always always had this thing about being fit and I want to be able to run with my kids. I I, want to run with my grandkids. I take them for bushwalks now. I take Charlie on a 4K bushwalk up the mountain, up to my prayer mountain. He's into it. He's been doing that since he's five. Where are we going, Poppy? We'll get there, don't worry. Five years old, trudging through the bush, you know. And uh, But vision is something of what you believe is your preferred future for your life, for your marriage, for your health. When we started the church... I just knew instinctively, as I did as a father, I, I, I just knew, because when we got married in uh, 84, December the 1st, 84, and um, I just knew I was going to have my family in its own house. That, that, that's the way, it was my DNA to do that. My dad built his own house, never had a mortgage, and that was in me, I guess. No, we're going to have our own house. And we did, supernaturally. I've told the story that God provided a house and uh, saw an old run-down house. I took a wrong way to, the, um, to, w- to work and I saw an old house and, and that house became our first house, supernaturally. The vision I had was supplemented by the power of God. God came to my aid, took me on this, you know, wrong road and there was the house he said what what god says what about that house i said that's great it's got a willow tree in the front needs a you know a lick of paint it's great it's like we could afford it even when houses were like forty-eight thousand. sorry to mention that guys <laughs> first home <I> buy. <coughs> Forty-eight thousand was a lot of money but i had vision to be in my own home and we did. That was in Sydney. We came up here. We got another vision to be in another house. We got into that. When we started the church in 96, I knew straight up that we weren't going to be in a school hall forever. We were in the primary school hall, the high school hall. But even within the first year of the, of the primary school hall, Cutler Drive, I knew that we needed a church home. We needed to be the head, not the tail. 
We needed to be not bothered by the landlord walking in right now saying, whatever, we need our building back. I knew as a father, as a good, good father, our Father God wants for you, wants for me, wants for us a home. Now that's the vision we got. I believe it was a vision from God. Back to the statement, vision is essential for survival. It is spawned by faith, sustained by hope, sparked by imagination, and strengthened by enthusiasm. It is greater than sight, deeper than a dream, broader than an idea. Vision encompasses vast vistas outside the realm of the predictable, the safe, the expected. No wonder, he says, no wonder we perish without it. Miles Munro says, No significant life can be lived for God, nor can any significant work be done for God unless it is grounded firmly on the reality of spiritual vision. God-given vision is what lifts Christians from the level of ordinary and enables them to achieve great things for God. Who can concur on that? Vision from God changed the direction of most of the Bible characters. Moses, Abraham, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul. The Bible states that each one of those characters encountered God. They had a revelation of what God was saying to them. And all of a sudden, because of that word of God, it, it went deep down into their life and they were, they were, act, they were sport for the ordinary and, and they served a lifetime of service to God, being directed by God. All people who are used mightily by God have a life-changing encounter with God. Can I say, when I got saved, definitely I had a life-changing encounter with God. But in 93, after being in the church from 85 to 93, we, I, I call it like a Mack truck encounter with God. We went from being just a nice family with the three girls at that time, going to church dutifully every Sunday, every service, paying our tithes and offerings, and Julie had a dance school. And we were just like the golden family. You know what I mean? I was just happy to be at work and, and Julie was the one that was the voice, the, uh, the evangelist with her dance school. And but in 93, we had an encounter with God, like Moses, like a burning bush experience. Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And it was like when God said that to Moses, he was saying, this is a different, this is a different, th this is a, 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 a proposition, Moses, that I'm asking you to ditch all those old ideas of who you are, where you think you are, what you think you're going to do. This is holy ground. I've heard the burden of my people and I want you to set them free. Now, 
Um, Moses, as we know, obeyed and the rest is history. I think that definitely happened to us in 93 as a family. It was like we had an experience with God and we basically got our marching orders out of the comfort zone of our picket fence life to engage on the front line to birth a church in 1996 and, and, and do ministry on behalf of God and let our little light shine. How's that song go? Let your little light shine. I don't want to let my light shine as an introvert, thank you very much. No, God said, I, I want you to shine your light. Oh, okay. So... Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. So can I just say that we, we ditched everything. When God said to Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Whoa, what do you mean? Just the ground of our salvation is holy. That's awesome, guys. This is no light matter. This is not a philosophical view of God. Christ Jesus paid a price for our, for our life. And when He gives us a vision to serve that, I believe we're privileged, but we're responsible to follow that vision, to do what He's asked us to do. And I believe from 93, we found ourselves standing on holy ground needing to decide to, to do what God had asked us to do, which was start this church, which ultimately we did in 96. But we ditched everything. We ditched the TV. We just started to pray ridiculously all the hours of the day in our Bibles, fellowshipping, fellowshipping all about God, all about God. Meetings, chasing God down, in every city, Newcastle, Sydney, every, just chasing God down. Who's got a word? You, you know that word at the beginning, in Amos. They were going from coast to coast, looking for the word of God. That's what we were doing. We would go to places we would hear that have hot spots of revival and God speaking. God was speaking to us beyond the pastoral setting that we had been in for many good years. We'd been in a church, but it was pastoral. You can be better. You can do better. Talk right. Be right. That's all great. We need that. How to get along with God. How to get along with yourself. How to get along with others. Very pastoral. But now we're realizing there's a prophetic view of life, an apostolic view of what God wants to do on the earth. And He wants to use you. Oh my goodness. It was challenging. And it literally was like that Joshua 3.5. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Four effects of God-given vision. I can concur with this. One, it is quickening. I am called. I am called. Two, it is motivating. I will. I can. Three, it is constraining. I must only. 
As I said, we ditched TV. We ditched all the frivolous other things that we were doing. And it was like, we must, we're constrained by it. We must engage what God has called us to do. We must engage the vision. That's what you do with vision. Yes, I want to buy this, but no. For the vision's sake, I'll deny myself that. I, I, I want to go over here. No, that looks okay, but this is where I'm supposed to be. Vision constrains you. Vision compels you. For it is sanctifying. I will not. Moses was told by God, put off your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Exodus 3, 5. Cutting off the old life, the old plans, the old ideas. Miles Munro says about vision, he says, he says these keys, and I think they're so powerful, one, be directed by clear vision. I knew we were needing to get this church in its own building. I had clear vision. There's no doubt about that. There was no way we were going to stay in a, in a dusty school hall forever. We used to go in there and vacuum out the school hall because people had dust allergies. And you know, after a week's activities of kids in a school hall, you know how dusty it was? It was very dusty. And we used to vacuum the high school hall. We used to vacuum. There was the lines of the basketball court where the, the, the dust would reside and we literally had to get the guys to vacuum out the cracks so that when we were worshipping in that, the dust wouldn't rise in the auditorium. We would literally vacuum there. And the, the school was, man, you guys are really, we really appreciate you guys renting our facilities out. It's never looked so good. We'd vacuum everything because it was the house of God on that Sunday. Two, principle two, know your potential fulfilling the vision. Three, develop a concrete plan for your vision. Yes, we did. Four, possess the passion of vision. Five, develop the faith of vision. You can apply this to your individual life, by the way. Understand the process of vision. Seven, set the priorities of vision. Eight, recognize people's influence on vision. Nine, employ the provision of vision. 10, use persistence in achieving the vision. 11, be patient in the fulfillment of vision. And 12, they connected to the source of vision. And Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. But can I paraphrase it by saying, faith is the substance of things you hope to accomplish the evidence of things that you cannot see even when others cannot. A visionary leader is an extraordinary person. They see things that, that are more real to them than e even what they see in the natural. They see things, all of our architectural, all our medical and uh, buildings and, and cities and, and all the engineering breakthroughs and scientific breakthroughs all came through vision. Someone saw it. 
um, Jonathan, can I have that photo of the entry to the, the church land? Um, this photo goes back some time. For true visionaries, the imaginary world of their vision is more real to them than concrete reality around them. Your vision determines your destiny. Persistence in filling one's life purpose comes from vision. As long as a person can hold on to his vision, there is always a chance for him to move out of his present circumstance and move and toward the fulfillment of his purpose. That's actually the driveway into this property. That's actually the driveway. Can you see where the church is supposed to be? And, or the church is? We w walked up to this property back in 90, 90, uh, uh, 97, I think. And we looked at it. It had a couple of horses on it. Craggy old fence, just a broken down old fence all around the property. And I looked at that property and I said, We could build a church on that land. The owner had other, uh, had other thoughts. She wasn't excited at all. She was, if the church wants it, they'll have to pay for it. Whoa, okay. Where there's vision, there's provision. See, people who are visionaries, they believe that the resources will come. That if they present the God vision, the real vision... Fathers, if you're presenting a vision and, you, and, and, and it's a good vision, a God vision, your wife will follow. Your, the resources will come. Business owners, the same thing. So it's true. God gave us this land to build a church. To What does your brochure say? To build, to care, to reach. Vision Builders has always been about building a future for our church that leaves a legacy for our sons and daughters, caring for our community, reaching out into the nations. Vision Builders is about that, what we can do when we step out together and give to God and together we are impacting the world around us. So through to our efforts together, financially, collectively serving and coming together, God can do crazy stuff on this planet. I like this scripture. I've never quoted it before. It's in Hebrews 3, 2. It says, who is faithful, this is talking about uh, Moses, who is faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in all his house. Another scripture in uh, Hebrews 3, 4 says, for every house is built by someone but he who built all things is God. Wow. Uh, Hebrews 3, 5, 6. And Moses indeed was faithful to all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. And Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And of course, now we are the house of God, the people of God. Ephesians 2.22 says, In whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God is so wanting 
to be here by His Spirit. Why is church so important? 1 Timothy 3.15 says, um, the church is, I'll back it right up, if I am delayed and will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Vision Builders is about a bigger story. I said that. Vision Builders is about the story that God has for this region, but for this city, but for us. Um, this book I'm about to order by two millennial theologians, they grew up in the church, they saw a lot of their millennial friends leave church, and they've written a book in response to the questions that millennials are asking. A lot of millennials are not subscribing to the notion of church. They perceive it as archaic, old-fashioned. Um, and it goes something like this. The Bible is seen by many contemporary readers as intolerant, outdated, out of step with societal norms at best, and a tool of uh, oppression at, at worst. This is some of the mindset that's out there about the Bible and about the kingdom. And, and this guy says this about this couple and about this book that's coming out. In this earnest and illuminating interview, millennial thought leaders and aspiring theologians, Michael and Lauren McPhee, are here to say, fair enough with these questions. Fair enough. But they're also here to raise a few questions of their own. What if we cleared the deck on our preconceptions of this book and encountered it anew? What if we came with the understanding that our questions are welcome? And what if these pages presented less of a system you could almost, what I've just quoted about the principles and the power of vision, it sounds like a system to attract favor and blessing, but it's not. It's, it, it's, it's just getting into the slipstream of how God can bless you. But, and what if these pages presented less of a system to figure out and more of a story to step into? A story with more surprising plot twists than the blacklist, or I put that in myself, or whatever we think. We went to Wild at Heart, base camp. Thank you, Phil Cairns. Give Phil Cairns a hand clap. John Eldridge, the, the guy who wrote the, the program, got the revelation, got the vision, John Eldridge program, challenging, inviting men to recover their masculine heart, defined in the image of a passionate God. Love that. Passionate God. Basically, John invites us into the biggest story of our life. The premise, the core desire for the men and the women who don't know yet, 
this will be a blessing to you and will help you realize why your husband may be struggling uh, or even your young man uh, may be struggling. The premise, the core desire of man's heart, a desire for a battle to fight in a man's heart. Sorry, tech guys or creative people or, you know, all, all valid personality traits, but the desire, the battle to fight. Maybe that's why they get hooked on those games. I want to, I will win, I don't care. A desire for adventure to live. That's why people ditch their jobs and travel to Europe and backpack until they're broke, come back and go, I want to do it again. A desire for a beauty to rescue. We want to rescue the lady that's getting abused by someone in the car park around Christmas because the husband is angry and irate. Can I say this in reference to that? You were built for a battle and you win every time. This is the right of your life. And I love this. I got this revelation at at the camp, Phil. This is, this is my um, slant on it. This is my revelation. The church is the beautiful bride of Christ and deserves protection, shelter, a home, a place of belonging. The church, the bride. That takes real men to stand up and make that happen. This is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Spoiler alert. Toy Story 4 is going to introduce you to the biggest story around all those characters we love. That's all I'll say. I don't think that was a spoiler alert. I can't wait personally. There was something about that first scene where Buzz Lightyear believed he could fly and fell and somehow whizzed around and I think he landed on his feet and, and someone said to him, that's not Woody, he said, that's, that's, that's not flying, that's falling. That's falling with style, is it? I love that. I think that's classic. What did Buzz say? Oh, that was just falling. That was falling with style. Well, that, in the early piece of the church, when I was trying to be a pastor or trying to believe I was a pastor, for somehow that really spoke to me. When, when I could he almost hear people say, he's not a pastor. But man, who does he think he is? A prophet is not respected in his own town syndrome you know but somehow that spoke to me and so on my 40th they bought me a Buzz Lightyear and gave it to me <laughs> can I introduce you to the biggest story of C3 which was Crossroads at one time started in 96 from a humble primary school uh, to a high school crossed the river to possess the land and uh, then God gave us this beautiful, lush, spacious, open land 
to build a church for his bride, for his sons and daughters to come from afar, to find a spiritual home to call their own. It's a big story. It's a story of encountering God, capturing vision and understanding God's heart for his people. And lastly, I just want to nail this. How did we do it? You may ask, how did the heck did we do it? At times, we'd be like 30 people. Uh, I mean, uh, it was ridiculous. Uh, we, we, we just people couldn't, couldn't hang on for the ride of their life or the fight, the battle, to be this church. One couple came, older couple came into the tent days, five years in a tent on this land, and they said, we love this church. I love the worship. I love the presence of God. But you're in a tent, and... and you're going to do a building program, aren't you? And look, that's okay, but the flapping of the tent walls, they really bothered me. I, I can't hear properly. And, and when, you know, when that horse walked into the service, um, yeah, it, it really frightened me. And look, we'd love to join, but there's that church down the road. Uh, they're in a rented facility in a factory. And can I tell you, that church is not there anymore in the factory or there even no more, completely no more. We hung on and we hung on through the, the rain, the hail, through the lack of support. But where there was vision, godly vision, God provided for us supernaturally. A disabled man, one of the legends of our church, unfortunately died um, a car accident, he had an epileptic fit or something and w we sort of knew that he had a will made out uh, and, and it was to the church, he had hardly any family, he was estranged from his family and unfortunately um, he, he died but fortunately he left his house to the church at, at the right time too when things were getting a little bit tense with the bank and and, and just stories like that. God was saying, I am so for you. I am a good, good father. I've put you in, a, in an enviable place, but you must hang on for dear life. You must ha hang on with courage. You must hang on because I'm going to take you for the ride of your life. It nearly broke me. In fact, it did break me. And, and that's another story. See, in vulnerability, and for those who are looking at my social, uh, where I'm doing some karaoke and that, I I'm finding that so therapeutic. <laughs> what is Pastor Phil doing? <laughs> this is not the Pastor Phil we know. <laughs> When's my album coming out? But there's something in the vulnerability that is so liberating that God can use when you become vulnerable to the will of God, to the plan of God, to the vision of God, it's a beautiful thing. Can I, t can I give you this word? The key thing that's got us here is commitment. Commitment to God, commitment to each other. And it's the story of not limiting God and being committed to His vision for our, for our life, for our church. I want to talk about, just quickly, covenant covenant relationship because that's God's very intense relationship through you through Christ that he has for you 
that he has for your life, your future, your destiny. And it's almost God is very, he's very passionate about it. And it's called covenant. And that's the sort of people that have got us to this place here. They've been passionate with God as, as a, in a covenant relationship, but they've been, they've been passionate with each other. And you know, uh, commitment, it's, it's not a great word these days, you know, because there's so much convenience. We can change things up. If we don't like this shop, we can go to that shop. If we don't like this wife, we can go to that wife. Um, convenience is, is the main priority, not commitment. And even fathers, oh, this is not convenient anymore. These little kids running around. Uh, I, I'm, uh, this is inconveniencing me. It's not convenient. Commitment is what we're missing in society. And it's infiltrating the church. This is, this is inconvenient, paying my tithe. This is inconvenient, having to be a vision builder. This is inconvenient, turning up to a prayer meeting. This is inconvenient, having to be friends with... No, this is our commitment to God, to love Him, love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love each other as He loves us. So I've got this word commitment, and, and I, I realize, well, there's uh, these covenants between Adam, uh, Noah, Abraham, David, um, and, and the Bible places high commitment on, on commitment. The deep-rooted commitment to God we see in the Bible must be the basis of our meaningful commitment to one another. We cannot be in relationship with another as long as we get a certain pleasure or happiness from them and then quit as that pleasure dies out. We are called to be faithful to our commitments to God and to each other. The Bible also shows us that from deep and meaningful commitments, something beautiful and lasting happens. Something that can only be understood when it has stood the test of time. Lord, open my eyes to commitment. Open my eyes to how godly commitment is. And so then I realized the nature of commitment. God's relationship with His people is described as a covenant. In um, Genesis 6, 18, it talks about Noah, and, and God speaks to Noah and says, just hang in there, enter the ark, take, take two of every species, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to flood the earth, but I'm going to be with you. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the dove is released, eventually comes back with the olive leaf olive branch signifying ah there is a future for us when we stood in the around the garden gethsemane in in jerusalem and the, and and the um the guy that, who's doing the guide to it to a guide is saying they are actually the trees that jesus would have stood around in the garden of gethsemane these olive trees are actually the trees they're still alive that's why the olive trees are so significant. The, 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 the olive tree, the olives being crushed to release the oil. It explains our salvation, protection, provision, and prosperity. Inherent in this covenant name is God's loving kindness, His redemptive concern for the human race, His faithful presence with His people, and His desire to be in fellowship with them and to be their God. The fundamental promise of this covenant 
is the Lord's promise in Genesis 17, Genesis 17 verse 7, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So this is a generational thing we're talking about. It's talking about a legacy, a generation. The ultimate goal of God's covenant with humankind was to bring salvation, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the whole human race. All we need to do is respond by faith. Now, if I could just lastly, Genesis 9, 12 to 13, because I just think this is marvelous, understanding this covenant. Genesis 9, 12, 13. All right. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations. Just say generations. To come, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Can I have that photo of the, someone took a photo, I think it was Frank or Pauline, took a photo of our church, the rainbow over the church. I just love that. This is a sign. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. You like that? Genesis 17, 4, 8. These are the sentiments. This is the narrative that this church has been traveling by. So basically that says, I'm going to be with you, Noah. You're going to be an ark. It's going to be flooded. The world's going to be mad. Everything's going to be destroyed. It's going to be look like, but trust me, I'm with you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to be there with you. And the rainbow will be assigned to that effect. Genesis 17, verse 4 and 8 uh, says, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you call Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And the whole land of Canaan, the whole land of the central coast, the whole land of Tuggerawayong, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be your God. Do you like that? There's something significant about the largeness of our land that God is speaking prophetically to the people of God. Why would God give us such a large parcel of land, lush, open, just fertile, it's ready, and now we're starting to plant plants. Thank you, John, for, for your plants from your work. We're planting along that fence there. There's, there's a whole hedge being planted. Now we're starting to plant, and now we're starting to, to build into this, this great church. And lastly, 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16. Now then, this is another covenant to, to David. This is a covenant to us. This, is a, this was like a covenant to yours truly. So the first one, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to be there right for you. Third one, this is not just for you, but this is a covenant for the generations. This is not just for you, but this is talking about an eternal possession, an everlasting possession. Now this one has another facet. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you the ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. I've seen that. 
Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. So the Bible says when we, when we build an altar, because ultimately the church is an altar, it's an altar where people come and become a living sacrifice through their worship, their giving, their time, talent, all that. It, it, it's coming, the, the, the church is the altar. And so God says, I want you, I want you to provide an altar, a place, and I will provide a place for my people and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore. And they did, as they did in the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will give you the rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Your days are over and, and you will rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, Solomon, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him. This is talking about Jesus now. A rod wielded by men, floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before you. Your throne will be established. Forever. <laughs> Thank you. The Jews were decimated by Nebuchadnezzar. If you look in Jeremiah 52, you see that the king of Babylon destroyed the temple of Jerusalem and taken the Israel, Israel's, uh, Israelites captive. W when that happens, um, back then, you would deny the God that you serve. You would deny the God you serve and say, their God's bigger than ours. Their God's bigger. We just, he just decimated our, our land, our temple. He took our temple where we used to worship God. And now, now the Babylonians are saying to the Israelites, hey, um, sing us one of those songs um, that you guys like to sing. And Psalm 137, 1-6 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. So they're in captivity, their temple's been wiped out, and they're thinking, how, how can we do this in the right spirit? How can we sing with faith? And then they realized, then they realized, it was our fault that we got ourselves into this trouble. They were disobedient. 
God allowed the Babylonians to crush them. And then they realized, and this is very important, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Jesus says, will I find, when the Son of Man returns, will he still find faith on the earth? That's quite a significant story because the Babylon, uh, they were wiped out by the Babylonians. The Israelites are out here without a temple and they're going, where is our, theo- where is our theology now? Where, where do we stand? Should we serve the foreign gods? Should we just go the way of the world? Should we serve these, these gods? No, they said, no, no, we've got to serve God. We've got to, we've got to repent and we've got to see that temple rebuilt. We've got to get back to our homeland and we've got to be the people of God that we can be. And I think that's the struggle too that people have, that they are succumb to the world. They see the church struggling even and they go, Ah, what's the use of trying to build a church? What's the use of trying to support the church? No, we're not going to forget Christ. We're not going to forget the price He paid. We're not going to forget what He's done for us. We're going we're gonna to repent and say, Lord, if we've done anything to disobey You and cause all this grief, we're going to repent here at this altar, at this church, and we're going to be Your people of God, and we're going to cry out again and believe for salvation for our world, for our towns and cities and peoples. Now that takes awesome faith. That takes a repentant people. And that takes a people who become a living sacrifice and give to such an initiative. And I know that we have so many new people here wanting to join in on our, new, uh, on our story of redemption, yeah. of covenant agreement with God and with each other. And locking and loading. Guys, stand up. Just one guy there and... You're probably going to get up and play. Are you? So yeah. just turn around here. I just, you just give me a... And, and this is what it's about, man. It's, it's locking and loading and becoming this church that believes in what God is saying through His vision for us, for our house, and, and to say, man, I love God, but I love you guys too. And I love this house. And this is our house. And this is what God's given us. This is the vision God's given us. Thanks, guys. And I know when we agree with God like that and agree with the vision for this church, we're going to do exceptional stuff. Can I just do a real uh, highlight reel? Jonathan, of some photos, and I'll try and whiz through those. So that's what vision does. Turns an old paddock, overgrown, rickety old fence, all the trees around the perimeter, we planted those, we mowed it, and put swales through it and drains and reclaimed it and we made space for our sons and daughters for their sons and daughters we made space an altar where we could come and worship God where people could trade in their sorrow beauty for ashes I was here on Friday afternoon I just went round drove around and God was speaking to me Stopped in the car and I realized, oh, the sun's setting. Thank you, Jesus, for such a great vision. Such a great vision. Trees of righteousness, planting of the Lord. That's what I love, that we're planted. Uh, You know, the single most thing I'm most proud of, of Julie and I, of our story, that we haven't gone anywhere. We haven't gone, oh, yeah, 10 years, that's it. 
No, 23 years we've been here turning up, doing what God's called us to do. Any more photos? Any more? Ah, I wanted to do a ca- comparison. I've got to do our tithes and offerings. I've got to take up the offering, otherwise we're not going anywhere. When you, when you think about giving, um, can you put, put the, the, the photo of the food up maybe? Look at that. Before. Well, this is a, um, a comparison test. That's, that's going to cost you $27.95, apparently. Yeah, uh, um, or $29.95, hot and spicy, share. Or KFC, $20.95. But put that first one back up. And um, yeah, four burgers, family-sized fries, four garden salads, 10 chicken nuggets, medium. Th- that's, that's $27. Uh, what was the other one? There was a $29 one, McDonald's. Oh, the t- oh that was the KFC, was it? Do you know what they're saying now? Psychologists are saying this. That you can go to Dreamworld for a whole week and go, wow, awesome! But your body will not remember that awesome time at Dreamworld in that one week. But if you, if you actually stayed at home and had to feed your mother who was in respite care and spoon feed her, and you didn't want to do that, but you had to do it because, look, it was the right thing to do, Apparently, psychologists are telling us now that your body will remember that and that will give you good feelings on the inside. But your body cannot reclaim the one week at Dreamworld. Can you get that? When you're having a blue day, a bad hair day, you can't go back to one week's at Dreamworld and go, oh man, that was awesome. No, it doesn't work. But your body kicks in, it will kick in. Yeah, but you know, I'm glad to be alive because I served my mom. I did the right thing by my mom, by my God, by my church, by the vision that God's given me. That is what gives you well-being. So I just had this comparisons, $29. Like vision builders, you work out what you, what you can give. But just think, just by, this is all about priorities. It's all about priorities. If your priorities is to buy a bunch of stuff, and not serve the kingdom, not give to God and to the confession of the gospel, it says in Corinthians, give your tithe. See, that's why we give our tithe. The Bible says in Corinthians, it's because of the confession of the gospel, what it did for you, what it can do for others. And in Corinthians, it says, we give our tithe for that sake. But the offerings, that's where we begin to invest and you get blessed and, and, and then God, he, he makes your life bigger, your heart bigger. And, and I just thought I'd put that comparison up there. Whatever you think you can give in a week, in a month, but in a year, do it by faith and know it will be a sacrifice. Know it is a priority that you will need to make. But God, he's got the book of remembrance We all stand accountable before God at the end of the day and give an account for our life, our time, our talent, our treasure. We give Him an account. But I know this, when you serve the big picture, when you serve the big picture of your life and step into the big picture of your life, you become that man or woman of God that God wants you to be. If you shrink back, if you shrink back, 
your life becomes smaller, it becomes more intimidated, it becomes more sheltered, it becomes less vulnerable, and you shrink back. No, walk in. Walk in to the, the larger picture of your life and become the man, become the woman that God wants you to be. You can do it. Will I find faith when I return, Jesus said. Lord, I'm praying that you would find faith in this house, in our generous giving. It just while we're just praying, you can prepare your tithes and offerings. Thank you for the people that are giving online. Thank you so much. I think this year uh, we're recommending, look, if you can give uh, to Vision Builders, and, and you've got the capacity to do it, just do it. Just do it straight up. But if you need to do it every week, praise God, you've got the, um, the brochure there, the giving envelope. It will help you how you can do it. This year we're believing for 190000 and uh, I believe we've got the capacity to do that in this house. We've uh, done vision builders that are attracted, uh, I think in well, one year we did 170000 um, not sure what it is this year, um, but yeah, it's a vision, and we're making it happen for the generations. We're making it happen for God. We're making it happen for the well-being of sons and daughters that are coming unto you, Lord God. Father, as we prepare our tithes and offerings, we thank you for the privilege to serve such a wonderful vision. Thank you, God, that you are for us, that you are with us. Nothing, nothing, Lord God, will thwart your plans. The gates of hell will not prevail against us leading us to allow us to live our best life. Lord, those gates of hell will not prevail in stopping us from living our best life in you and being so generous as a vision builder, Lord. Father, we come to you at this sacred moment, at this, at this moment in the time of this church where we make a, a pledge. We say, God, we want to stand with each other We want to be this community, Lord, that has faith to build a house of God for your presence, for sons and daughters to find their way home and to reach out to the nations, reach out to this world, I pray. Father, may every dollar represented in these offerings and in this pledge and all that we give unto you, God, may it represent eternal results of souls saved, blessed, healed, set free, and the saints say, saints say, amen. You may take up the reciprocals. Yeah. We're going to take up these next week, guys. It's next week. But if you're not here next week, thank you, Julie. Uh, if you're not here next week, you can get it in today if you need to. Please fill it out. Get it in today. See the information desk. Thank you, Lord.
Um, just, just while the, yeah, the person who gave that large, uh, I, th- I think it was $5,000 about five, six weeks ago, uh, that person probably knows who they are. Uh, the person that gave that, thank you so much. That got us over the line to buy the carpet in the kids' room. Give a hand clap to, to the Lord. Please, um, we have average people give, you know, on average 5,000 a year, say. But if 2,500 is your, is your, maybe we have people that give 10,000. We have people that give 30,000, 40,000. It's a stretch, but we can do it. It's a stretch. Usually it's a stretch, but in the stretch is where the blessings flow. In the stretch is where... God provides miracles, and it's amazing. Amen? All right, awesome. Thank you, church, for your patience in explaining the vision and our journey thus far in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.